This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. On ABC Radio, you're with Rod Quinn, and it is time to go around the world. And this morning, we are going back to Ukraine. And it is a huge pleasure to welcome to the program the person I think is the best foreign correspondent working on Australian TV today, <laughs> Sarah Greenhouse. Sarah, look, it's a my pleasure. In fact, I tweeted you about this, but like your work in Ukraine in particular is incredible. So congratulations on it and thank you so much for joining us this morning. What a wrap, Rod. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to finally talk to you. It's our pleasure. Now, you were in Ukraine, in fact, a long time before the war, weren't you? I was. So my cameraman and I were actually here for five weeks in the lead up to the war. And now being back, I can't tell you how many times I've said, oh, when we were here in January, February, when we were here before, because it is mind blowing to think that we were here for so long talking about the speculation. Uh, The Ukrainians were almost laughing at us on occasions, you know, that we were hyping it up, Western media, this is never going to happen. And obviously, so much tragically has unfolded since then. Um, So it is a real contrast to be here after several months of war, having been here in the lead up um, and and, and catch up with some of the people that we spoke to back then and see how their lives have changed as well. Uh, But it's a a very different place than what it was in in Jan Feb. So tell us about some of those people that you went back to see and that, you know, Mm. they've now had to be living with war or living with the spectre of war possibly about to envelop them. What did you uh, hear from them? Yeah, so two of the women who I interviewed back um, pre-war who were training as part of the Territorial Defence Forces, these these civilians who, who decided, you know, last year, the year before, that they needed to start training, uh, picking up a weapon and learning how to use a gun. So one is a woman called Marta. She's a mother of three, a doctor. She has been uh, in Kharkiv uh, to the east for the past few weeks, but she was actually in Bucha um, during the occupation there. And then there's another Another woman, Mariana, who is alongside Marta, she too is in Kharkiv. So it's been welcome news to hear that those two ladies are actually fine. We haven't seen them in person because we didn't actually make it out that far east, um, unlike my colleague Jeff Parry, who, who went out to Kharkiv a few weeks ago. Um, but they are both safe and well. But these are mums, Rod, who decided when this country was surrounded um, by Russian forces, you know, at the end of last year, that they, they couldn't just sit on their hands and do nothing. They needed to do something for their families and for their country. And that is the sentiment you hear time and time again. On a really personal note, um, back when I was here, I was having breakfast daily at a particular cafe. And when I was back in London, pretty devastated to be back in London, to be honest with you, when, when the invasion started, because I was full of fear um, and, and concern for, for the people that we had met. Two of the people I kept thinking about were these two young waiters uh, at this coffee shop in Kiev. So I couldn't help myself. I went back the other day to see if they were okay. Um, one, uh, the girl, Alina, is actually in Lviv. So she is safe and she's studying there, her colleagues told me. And the young man who served us daily, he um, he actually had a heart condition, which made him exempt from having to stay in Ukraine because, of course, men of fighting age still can't leave this country. So he managed to leave the country. So they're both safe. And it might sound inconsequential, but, but to me, I was worried about these two teenagers because 
you know, they're so young, their lives are ahead of them. Um, and, and that's the case for so many people here. Their lives have just changed in these yes. monumental ways. And then, and then you know, you go and visit people like um, we, we spoke to this guy called Nikita the other day. So he, 31-year-old, father of a five-year-old son who lives in a town west of Kiev that was under occupation. He and his father were abducted at gunpoint. They were taken into a field um, by the Russians, made to lie in the snow at the time because, of course, it was freezing cold when the Russians first appeared here. Um, they took off their shoes and made them lie there in the freezing field with bombs falling around them before they loaded Nikita up into a truck, then a helicopter, then a cargo plane, and flew him to a detention camp in Russia uh, where the Russians amputated his toes because his frostbite mm. had become that severe. And then they realised that he was probably too hard uh, for them to look after and that he could be of some use to them. So they decided he'd be part of a prisoner exchange. And he luckily, um, if you know, if you can say anything lucky about this ordeal, made it back to Ukraine. And so we caught up with him in a hospital the other day. Um, and he said he'd just never forget the eyes of the Ukrainian soldier who welcomed him back home um, when he was on a stretcher because he was just, he thought every day of that ordeal that he was going to die, as you would. Yeah. Uh, so his wife and his young son are in Belgium and they FaceTime daily and hopefully in the next few weeks he will um, he will be able to see them again. So when you hear a story like that or you have met him and you, you, he tells you that story or mm. you've talked to them beforehand, do you feel better or worse about human nature? It's a good question. Um, you see both sides of it. You hear something like that and you think, how on earth could a, could a human being want to do that to another human? Um, and then the flip side of that story, and, and this is probably a great example actually, is Nikita's neighbour. Um, he is quite the character. So he looked after Nikita's wife and five-year-old son when they're father and, you know, husband were, were carted off by the Russians. So the neighbour took them underground in his cellar for 32 days. It, it was tiny rod, damp. This is, you know, this is May now and it's quite warm here at the moment. So you can only imagine how cold the cellar was in February, March when they were in there. Um, and he took great care of them. But the part that made me laugh and have a little bit of faith in humanity is that he shared with us that there was a, a Russian sniper actually patrolling the street. And he, Antonoli, was so determined that he had to look after his peach trees, fruit trees, uh, <laughs> that during the occupation he would sneak out the back garden to tend to his trees because he had a very critical few days that he needed to do something specific to these trees to ensure that they would grow in wow. spring. Uh, and he dodged sniper fire to make sure he looked after the trees while also looking after his neighbor's family so you hear stories like that he also went around and pick, picked up bullets and hid them in his well so that the russians couldn't use them and then he fished them out of the water later like and you hear things like that and and it does give you a little bit of faith i will say i have never met people like the ukrainians they are so strong um so fiercely patriotic as well uh, and they are all determined and confident that ukraine will win this war Sarah Greenhalgh is our guest, the Seven Network correspondent in Europe. I was concerned about you, Sarah, because you had been there for so long beforehand. And then as soon as the war began, you were, I don't know whether you, were you, you know, asked to leave for your own safety or had you just come to that point in your 
um, reporting time when, okay, it was time for somebody else to go in. What happened? Because I think you went over the border to Poland, didn't you? Mm. Oh, gosh, Rod, this will stay with me for a long time. So we were there for five weeks. Uh, We probably had pushed it out to the limit because, um, like all workplaces, you know, bosses need to be wary of fatigue and, and, and looking after our well-being. And so we had been working relatively nonstop for five weeks. And so it was always the case that we were supposed to be leaving or pulling out, as we say, on the um, on the 23rd of February. And when it got to the 21st, which is that Monday night when Putin made that rambling address on Russian television where he lamented the collapse of the Soviet Union and he said that Ukraine should never have been an independent country and um, my local producer here, Anzor, who we've worked consistently with since January, he texted me and he was like, I have never seen him like this. He's like, this invasion is happening. And that was the moment for a lot of Ukrainians when suddenly it flipped like a switch flicked and they thought this actually could be happening and I felt the same. So then I knew that I was leaving two days later and my cameraman and I, Jimmy, were in Lviv Airport on the 23rd of February in the afternoon and Ukraine declared a state of emergency and I became quite upset because it is in our nature, it's our instinct as journalists to want to be going towards a story as opposed to be going in the opposite direction. But we got on the plane and then the turbulence on the plane was so bad and I did admit, I, I admittedly fell asleep because I was a little bit tired, not that I want to tell the bosses that. <laughs> um, and then I woke up from the turbulence and the captain came over saying, sorry, we can't climb any higher due to the military activity in the sky. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is definitely happening. So I got back to London at about 9 p.m. to my flat on Wednesday, the 23rd of February. And, of course, as we all know, uh, the war started in the early hours of the 24th. And I woke up to I can't count how many messages from people who I hadn't spoken to in a very, very long time because suddenly I dropped off the face of the television after five weeks uh, just as the bomb started. But I... I'm fine. And luckily we had Jeff Parry uh, there. He had replaced me. And then, of course, the wonderful Chris Reason came in and did a, a stellar job as well. So it's it's a team effort. And I am very grateful and very impressed, I will say, that the, the most of the Australian networks have um, committed to this story for so long, Rod. We've, yes. We have had a correspondent here on the ground since the 20th of January consistently. Um, and it's, it, is, it is such an important story. There are stories here that need to be told. Uh, and, we, and I am proud that we've been able to do that. Well, we've spoken to you now. We spoke to Rizzo, Chris Reason. We spoke to Amelia Adams from Channel 9. We spoke to uh, uh, Misha Zielinski from the Australian Financial Review as well. That You're absolutely right. It's so important that we get the Australian perspective because there are so many Ukrainians. Hugh Whitfeld, of course, we spoke to as well, your colleague. There are so many uh, Australians... Um, with Ukrainian heritage or who have uh, who were born in Ukraine and are living in Australia now. How do you then go back to London, for example, and your next story might be, gosh, how beautiful does Princess Charlotte look in those birthday photos? <laughs> well, that's probably what it'll be. You know, to be honest, I've just seen today that the big headline is about the Queen's um, Jubilee celebrations, yeah. which is probably the story I'll cover next when I go back to London. It it, and it's hard. It, it is really difficult. I listened to your chat with Amelia Adams and I think she said a similar thing. It, it's really hard to come off one of these big stories, a story that you care so much about. You've met people that you feel attached to naturally um, and then go back to 
something like Charlotte's photos, albeit cute. Um, but that's, again, the nature of being a correspondent. We cover such a vast, you know, range of stories. Um, but but th- this has definitely dominated the first um, part of the year. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I had thought about it every single day that I was in London. I was watching everything, consuming all the stories, probably too much. Um, but it's really hard to detach when you are so committed to a story and the people rot it's it's the people like even today we visited the um the children's hospital here in Kiev the zoo was bringing animals to visit the kids um which was a lovely reprieve from their new reality which is you know sirens and going down to bunkers and dealing with all of these realities of war and just talking to them and their parents, what they've been through, it's not something you can forget. You can't just tell a story and then switch off from it. It does stay with you um, and you do need ways to cope with it, but it's um, it, it can be tough. So are you given help? I think we spoke to Amelia about that. We, we are offered, we are definitely offered help. And, um, and I think I will definitely take up that offer when I get back because you do... You do see things, and and for me, it's not so much seeing images of bodies or or things like that. It, it's talking to people, and and even when I was a crime reporter in Brisbane, it would not be seeing a going to a crash scene that would affect me. It would be talking to the victims' families and hearing their stories. And it's only when you attach faces and stories to yes. the accident that it actually becomes real and th- and that's the part that does get you far more than seeing gruesome images. But are you going to be able to then come back to Australia and do that? I, I was watching your colleague Amelia Brace <laughs> and she was there in Washington and you know she was involved in those protests, very much involved. She's now back here, oh yeah there's a car accident on the you know Harbour Bridge or whatever. You know once you've reported on a story like this as big as a war between Russia and Ukraine can you come back mm-hmm. just to do you know fairly bread and butter stories Another good question Rod uh I was speaking to my dear friend and esteemed colleague Rizzo about this actually when he popped into London after being in Ukraine and as he said there is a place for Australian news it's it you know it is important it is what most people pay attention to it affects them probably more so than this conflict um but on the flip side there are also things happening here that do have ramifications for australians for example in last night's story we we spoke to farmers um they have a sunflower seed farm and they can't sow any crops at the moment because they've spent the past month scouring their fields for landmines Um, and that of course then has a knock-on effect on the global food supply chain which we're already seeing ukraine is the world's fourth biggest supplier of wheat and corn and it is the biggest supplier of sunflower oil so in the uk where i'm living at the moment you can't buy sunflower oil or i think they have limits in the supermarkets where you can only buy one bottle because it's um you know there's going to be a shortage and the the dangers for these farmers are very very real we spoke to these two guys and then about two hours later a tractor got blown up about half an hour away from a landmine Uh, and we spoke to one of the um the guys from the military who was on the checkpoint there and he said that field had field had already been checked so it had been checked by an explosives team and they missed a mine and then it was blown up by a tractor. So oh. it's it, it is a the worker was okay, um, but it is it is it is a reality, and that will continue to affect Aussies. 
Yes, uh, and our Spain correspondent was saying, you know, that the the shelves there have been cleared of sunflower oil from people buying it who never bought it in their lives, but suddenly because there's a rush on it, they wanted to go out and buy you know, their two bottles of sunflower oil. Sarah, it has been a pleasure, a real honour talking to you. Please, again, stay safe. I hope you make it home okay, but I also hope you stay there reporting for us. And I really appreciate the fact that you've been on the program this morning. It's been a great pleasure. Rod, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. I certainly hope so. The great Sarah Greenold in Ukraine. And you can see her reports on the Seven Network. Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio.